Well, good morning. My name is Matt. It's great to be with you. Let's just jump right in. If you have your Bibles with you, let's open, click, swipe, do what you got to do to get to Luke 22. We're continuing our series this morning called Crossroads. And what we've been doing is really retracing the final moments, the final day, final hours of Jesus's life as he takes steps towards uh, as he's on the road to the cross, to journey to Easter. And uh, he's been spending some quality time with his disciples. And uh, so far, what we've seen in the series, that uh, they've had one final meal together. They've taken one final walk to a garden where Jesus will be betrayed and he will be arrested. And then within hours, he will be hanging on a cross. And so the story that we're going to look at today really it takes place in the midst of all of that. It's the story that you might be pretty familiar with. It's the story of Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, denying him three times. And interestingly enough, some historians have dug up a picture of what this whole thing looked like and what went down. I think we've got it for you. Give you a moment to let it sink in. Okay, good. So I, I couldn't speak about Peter denying Jesus and not use that picture. It's classic. Uh, no, so today we're, we're looking at really what is Peter's greatest failure. His biggest failure. Probably, it's not his only failure, but definitely his biggest is, that what, is what we're looking at today. And guess what? His greatest failure was written down. It was documented. It was file saved for all time to... to be able to see and to see the way in which he failed. And what's interesting is that his story of Peter's failure is not just documented in one gospel account, you know, Luke, which we're looking at today, but it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, the gospel writers, they all tell the story and they retrace the steps of Jesus and they all kind of pull stories that they, they believe will use, they, they use to make an overarching point about Jesus. And they all felt that this was an important one to include. So Peter's greatest failure was, was laid out, laid bare. In, for, in each of these gospels, for the last 2,000 years, the church has seen Peter's greatest failure. I mean, how would you feel about your biggest oops, your biggest mistake being, being looked at, read, and, and, and learned, like all bef- laid bare before all of your friends? I mean, that, it would be horrible. You know, in today's world of, of uh, instant replay and social media, the uh, YouTube blooper reels and all of these different things, there's a lot of failures that are captured and not forgotten. I mean, just Google the name Steve Bartman. I don't know if you know who this guy is, but just Google him. Wrong place, wrong time, makes a, makes a mistake and causes, a, you know, an uproar. I mean, we're not going to go into them, but that, I mean, just as an example, this guy, 15 years so far of just, of being uh, demonized for what he caused that one day, that one night, that one game. So I'll let you guys look that up if you don't know who that is. There were some Cubs fans earlier in first service, and they did not like that I used Steve Bartman as an example. But, uh, so it's crazy. This is Peter's greatest failure and it's before social media, it's before Facebook and Instagram and blogs and the internet, and it still gets written down and saved and been, been looked at for the last 2,000 years, which is crazy. So I believe that there's a reason why it was written down and something that we find uh, in Scripture, a consistent theme, something that we see God do time and time again all throughout Scripture is that, hear this, he loves 
to use our greatest failures to showcase his great faithfulness. I mean, that is, that's God's M.O. That's, that's what he does. He loves to use failures to show off his faithfulness. And so we're going to just jump right in here. We're going to look at and point our attention to Luke 22. We're going to start at verse 31. This conversation takes place right after, again, the, Jesus and his disciples have just shared the Passover meal together. And if you are able, would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word together this morning? <clears throat> Luke 22, verse 31. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Let's jump ahead to verse 54. Having arrested him, Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And his servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, this man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another man saw him and said, You are one of them, too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man was also with them, for he is a Galilean, too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here today with us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see and to savor your amazing grace for people who fail, for people who make mistakes, who don't get it right. God, would you have your way with us this morning? Would you speak to each person here in this room in a custom tailor, tailored message of your grace to them where they are at? I pray that we would leave here this morning feeling free, feeling lighter, freer because of what you have done for us. Not when we were good, but in our badness. I pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, when you read about a guy like Peter, if you know any, any of his story, it's easy for us here to read about Peter and just kind of roll our eyes at him. We're like, Peter, I mean, he's that guy. He's the all-in guy, the all-or-nothing guy. He's, he, he never did anything halfway. He's constantly talking a big game about just how committed to Jesus he was. He was always, he seemed to always be speaking before thinking. He would, he'd be the guy that would put his foot in his mouth, and there were numerous times where we see Jesus have to kind of like rein him back in, kind of put Peter in check. And so Peter's that guy, and it's easy for us just to kind of roll our eyes at him 
and he's just a, you know, a passionate, but he's just really impulsive. It's easy for us to roll our eyes and kind of put Peter in a box and be like, that dude, Pete, is crazy. I mean, he just can't, he doesn't get it. It's easy for us to do that. But I think if we write Peter off and just kind of dismiss him as that guy who does that kind of stuff, like we will miss something incredibly important for us that, that shows us and gives us insight on ourselves and our own relationship to Jesus. You see this morning, I think what we see with the story of Peter is that Peter is a picture of all of us. And this story that we're looking at, really, it's a microcosm example of the, of the entire Christian life. It, this story, what we'll see is that it confronts the way that we understand God. It exposes the kinds of things that you and I typically depend upon in order to feel acceptable to God. And so this story, if we look at it, it's really, it, it provides a template of what the Christian life includes, the experiences and the dynamics that you and I encounter, all of our ups, all of our downs, all of our failures, all of our, all of our mistakes, and most importantly, the way in which Jesus responds to us in those moments. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at just two things. We're going to look at two things. And I really believe that, that these two realities, if we, were to, if we grasp these two realities, that we will, and I think it's important that we grasp these two realities and that these two things really shape our lives and they shape our relationship with others and ultimately shape our relationship with God. So here's the two things that we're going to look at. The first thing is that our love fails our love fails, and secondly, God's love succeeds. So first, our love fails. As I mentioned, so Peter, he's the all-in guy. Peter was the guy, he was never, he never like hesitated to speak his mind. He, he never hesitated to chime in and to make big, bold declarations about just how much he loved Jesus, how much passion he had for Jesus. And I believe that Peter wasn't just talking the talk. I think he believed and he had, had every intention of walking the walk. I mean, Peter truly loved Jesus. I mean, Jesus had come to Peter and had called him. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus had come and called him and Peter left everything and followed Jesus. He was all in. I mean, they spent three years of ministry together in the trenches, doing life together I mean, imagine the kinds of conversations that they had that we, aren't, we don't know about because those weren't written down. The kinds of conversations and experiences they shared together over those three years. I mean, they, it's, they were close friends. Peter loved Jesus. He was all in. He was dedicated. He was committed. He was devoted. And I believe Peter believed that his love, his devotion for Jesus would carry the day and it would see him through to the finish line. I think Peter was convinced that his love for Jesus was unfaltering, it was steadfast, it was resolute. And I think Peter would say, yeah, his perspective was, sure, times, times are going to get tough. There's going to be some hard, difficult times, but Jesus, hear me on this. My commitment to you my devotion to you, that will see us through. This was Peter's MO. And know, knowing this about Peter, Jesus, he delivers some pretty haunting news. In verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, 
Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. If I heard that, I'd be like, whoa, 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 what? I mean, can you imagine? Hey, Peter, uh, guess who's been asking about you? <laughs> Satan. I mean, that would be a, a scary thing. A really quick word on sifting uh, the wheat. I mean, really, sifting wheat is the process of separating the grain from the husk, and it's used a lot as a, as a metaphor for testing. And so what we see here is Satan is asking Jesus permission to test Peter. And I think it's, just, it's important and interesting to know that Satan has to ask permission. This is a really quick parenthesis here, but that Satan has to ask permission to sift Peter. And it's good news to know that whatever's going on in our lives, we can trust that God has not turned a blind eye towards us, that we are on his watch, and that nothing that will happen to us will, or everything that happens to us will first have to be allowed by him. I mean, then we can take comfort in that, that nothing happens to us that first wasn't allowed by God himself. And this isn't the first time that we see Satan making this kind of request. And if you're familiar with the story of Job in the Old Testament, it, take, it records a conversation that took place in heaven. Satan came to, to God and God was like, dude, check out my servant Job. He's amazing. Look at how awesome he is. And Satan's like, yeah, he's because you've given him everything. He's been so blessed. You take, it, you take that stuff away, you bring affliction into his life and watch what happens. He's going to curse you. He's going to rip your heart out. If you know the rest of that story, God gives him permission to, to begin to sift Job. And we see Job remain faithful throughout that process. But in the same way here, Satan wants Jesus to see that his disciples are a bunch of phonies. Say, like, Jesus, you let me at them. You let me sift them. Let me crush them. And their true colors will come out. You'll see exactly what they're made of. Their faith will be lost. You see, Satan had already gotten to Judas. Sifting had happened there. Now Satan wanted, he wanted at the rest of the disciples. It's hard to understand, but in some way, Jesus grants Satan permission. And we see that Jesus predicts Peter's failure but he also gives him hope. Notice he says, Satan wants to sift you, but don't worry. I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. So when you turn back, meaning you will, you will fall, you will fail, but when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. You see, implied in that message, implied in what Jesus is saying to Peter, he's saying, you will fail. You will falter. You will fall away. And Peter hears this, and of course, Peter, he's like, zero chance. Jesus, there is zero chance that I'm going to fail you. I'm Peter. I will die for you. You see, Peter, he didn't like the idea that his love for Jesus wouldn't endure. He didn't like the idea that his love for Jesus, his faith in Jesus was flimsy, and that his faith was flimsy. He heard Satan's request, and he's like, essentially, bring it on. Peter doesn't blink. Bring it on. Jesus, I will go to prison with you. I will even die for you, was Peter's response. You see, what we see here, what Peter is doing, if you were to boil it all down, what we see, Peter's, his strategy for spiritual success was to double down on his devotion 
to double down on his commitment, his love for Jesus. You see, whether Peter realized it or not, he had anchored his faith. He had anchored his hope and confidence in himself. His love, his commitment, his sacrifice. And so what we see is that the source of his strength and sustenance was located in his love for Jesus, not Jesus' love for him. It's a big difference between those two. It's interesting, if you look through Matthew, Mark, and John, you see this conversation play out, and you get to color in a little bit more of the detail. Specifically in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, if you're reading Matthew 26, Peter responds in it to Jesus here in this conversation. And in, in his response, he says, Jesus, these guys might fail you, but I never will. And he calls everyone else out. All these other guys, they might let you down, but not me. All these other guys might be your little weak Boy Scouts guys, but me, I'm your Navy SEAL disciple. (laughs) I will never let you down. My faith is strong. And if we're reading this, it sounds admirable, doesn't it? It sounds legit. Peter sounds like we, it sounds respectable. If we're honest, it sounds a lot like us. If I'm honest, it sounds a lot like me. It's so easy for us to say, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. But now, now, it's time for me to get radical. It's time for me to get radical. God, thank you so much for what you have done. But now, thank you for saving me. But now it's time for me to show God and show the world just how strong I am and how capable I am and how unwavering my love for God is. And when this happens, what what happens here is that life primarily becomes about us, our performance, our success, our achievement, our improvement. And then we begin to measure our spiritual status on all different kinds of things. We have all different kinds of metrics for this. We measure our spiritual status by how committed we are to doing different spiritual disciplines, reading our Bible and praying and all of those things, or how well that we're doing at avoiding sin. How well we're doing at avoiding sin. Well, I haven't, I haven't sinned in like, I don't know, three days. I mean, we, we, we start to measure that and we start to take, build confidence on how well we're doing at avoiding it. Or how consistent our church attendance is. Or how connected we are to different Bible studies or life groups. Or how much money we are giving. How much, how much time we're donating and, and giving to different things and serving. And guys, these are all great things. But what can happen is that these things can subtly sneak in and become the focus of the Christian life. Jesus, what happens when these things come in, they, they slowly become the focus. It's like then Jesus and his work for us gets replaced by us and our work for him. And then we, like Peter, like, Jesus, these people might fail you, but I never will. You can count on me. I've got you. And when, when the focus of the Christian life becomes about us and what we're doing versus Jesus and what he has done, one thing always tends to happen is that we become prideful, judgmental people. We become that. I think a lot of us in here, we know people who have become that. And we start comparing ourselves and then 
the church, in the church, it's so easy for us to get really frustrated with other people, right? Like, why aren't they loving God like I love God? Why aren't they serving God the way that I serve God? Why don't they care as much as I care? Why can't their faith be as strong as my faith? And when this happens and this starts to brew and starts to develop, what happens is that the central, the center of the Christian life, namely Jesus and his sacrifice for me, it gets hijacked and it becomes about me and my sacrifice for Jesus. It happens a lot. In his book, Transforming Grace, the author Jerry Bridges, he says this, and he's speaking about this very idea. He says, in this sense, we live by works rather than by grace. We are saved by grace, but we are living by the sweat of our own performance. Moreover, we are always challenging ourselves and one another to try harder. We seem to believe success in the Christian life is basically up to us, our commitment, our discipline, and our zeal, with some help from God along the way. The realization that my daily relationship with God is based on the infinite merit of Christ instead of my own performance is a very freeing and joyous experience. Because it's not, but it's not meant to be a one-time experience. The truth needs to be reaffirmed daily. You see, we need this reminder daily because if the driving force of our Christian life becomes our work and our obedience versus Jesus, his work, his obedience for us on our behalf, we will become miserable people. And then as the judgmentalism, the comparison, the, the pride begins to brew within our hearts, we, we become miserable people and we make everyone else around us miserable as well. And really, our pride and our judgmental attitudes, really, that only reveals just what, what we are, in fact, banking our hope on. That we're banking our hope ultimately on us versus Christ. And this is what Peter had done. He says, Jesus, read my lips. I will die for you. I will die for you. And this is amazing. Catch this, the, the, the timing of this whole thing. It, just moments before, Jesus goes to the cross to demonstrate his unimaginable love and devotion for sinners so that this whole thing is about the death of Christ. Just moments before that happens, Peter says, no, 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 no. I will die for you. And just hours later, Jesus demonstrates, he declares and he demonstrates that this whole thing is about his death for us, not our death for him. But Peter isn't convinced. He's confident that he will stand strong till the end, even to the death. And so the next part, Jesus, he makes it, in no uncertain terms, he makes it abundantly clear. Okay, Peter, check this out. Before this night is over, you're the one who's going to fail most miserably. Sure, all these other guys you're, you're looking down on, yeah, they're going to run. They're going to scatter. But you, Peter, you're going to fail most miserably. You're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny that you know me, not once, not twice, but three times. And sure enough, we see it all unfold. You know, we see Jesus, he, he's arrested in the garden. And Luke, Luke tells us that one of the disciples 
in that moment when Jesus was getting arrested, one of the disciples pulled out a sword and took a swing at the servant of the high priest who was there to arrest Jesus. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I'll say one of the disciples pulled out a sword. It's like, hmm, I wonder which one that was. I wonder which disciple would do that kind of thing. And sure enough, John, he spills the beans. He's like, yeah, that was Peter. <laughs> and so Jesus is arrested, and this brings panic and chaos. All of the disciples, they run, they run away, run for the hills, and Jesus is taken away. And it says, Luke tells us that Peter followed at a distance. And so Jesus, he gets taken to the house of the high priest to get put on trial. And Peter, he manages to kind of get into the courtyard there where there were people sitting around a fire. There were some servants of the high priest along with some other officials probably trying to just be incognito, but being close, following at a distance, but not too close. And it's here where P Peter fails miserably. Think about it, the guy who had just taken a sword out and took a swing at someone's head. A little servant girl points him out and says, hey, you were with him. He's like, no, 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 I wasn't. There's the first denial. It happens again. A guy recognizes him. You were, you were with him too. No, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is a snapshot of just how flimsy our faith can be. How quick we can turn then it's interesting that the text says about an hour later. So you have to imagine Peter's had some time to, to kind of process and to think about what has happened. He's like, wow, two strikes. But it doesn't even seem to occur to him. An hour later, someone points out again. They recognize his accent. They say, you're one of them. He says, I have no idea what you're talking about. And in that moment, right when he is speaking, the text tells us that the rooster crowed. Verse 61 is heavy. <laughs> Look what happens next. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Wow, I can't imagine what that moment was like. Can you imagine what that eye contact felt like? Meeting his eyes meet Peter's eyes just after he has completely and utterly failed. Jesus turns towards him making that eye contact after he's denied him three times. It's interesting too, some commentators, uh, they point out the significance of there being three denials. And you know, all throughout scripture, there's, there's uh, instances where things are mentioned three times kind of successively in a row. And really it's known as the emphatic triplet. And uh, one example of the emphatic triplet is uh, in Isaiah 6, where the angels our Isaiah describes the angels crying out to God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the emphatic triplet really, is, it describes that by mentioning something three times, it was speaking of the totality and the completeness of that thing. So holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It means that he's max holy. He's holy to the max. There's not any more room for more holiness. And you think about Peter denying Jesus three times. This was failure to the max. This was complete and utter failure. And it's in that moment that their eyes meet and Peter's completely undone. He's exposed. He's now painfully aware of how weak and how flimsy his commitment, his loyalty is. You see, everything that Peter had been banking on, 
everything that he'd been banking on to carry him through, to carry the day, his confidence, his bravery, his devotion. In the end, what we see is that it wasn't enough. It was too flimsy. His love failed. And so we see Peter has come to the end of himself and he goes away and weeps bitterly. Because whether he realized it or not, Peter was anchoring his hope and his confidence on his strength for Jesus, his own strength. And really, going back to this story being a picture of the Christian life, you and I, we do the same thing. The same temptation, the same dynamic experience is, uh, is experienced by all of us daily. In this story, it raises a couple questions for us. The question is, what is it that sustains you? What is it that sustains you and where is your source of hope? Is it your work? Is it your achievement? Is it your sacrifice? Or is it Christ and what he has done, his work, his achievement for you? His work, his sacrifice. What is it that sustains you? And if you are a Christian, the reality is that one of those two things sustains you. Consciously or unconsciously, what drives you is either your strength for God or God's strength for you. This is a daily battle. And as we, we see in the story of Peter, if we determine that the Christian life is fueled and if it's sustained by our love for God, then we, like Peter, we too will crash because at the end of the day, our strength fails. Our love bottoms out. And so we need a, a firmer, a stronger, a greater, something sturdier to carry us and to drive us. And so the question is, what is it that is bigger, sturdier, that can drive us and that can carry us? And that brings us to the second point, is that it's God's love that succeeds. Our love fails. God's love succeeds. I can't imagine what Peter must have felt like in that moment, or the next day, or the next day. Imagine what he, what he encountered, what he felt every time he heard a rooster crow. You know when you hear songs on the radio or you even smell a familiar smell, it takes you back to that moment? I mean, think about every time a rooster crowed, what would go through his head, go through his mind? Can you imagine the, the next day and then the next day, the guilt that would be felt and just that thought of like, ah, I blew it. I blew it. I failed. Well, thankfully, that wasn't the end of the story for Peter. And thinking back to what Jesus had, had told him, I wonder if this is a thought that he had as well. He knew that Jesus said, oh, you're going to deny me, but there were some other words that Jesus spoke over him as well. He said, remember, remember he said, Satan wants to sift you, but, I love it when Jesus butts in, <laughs> Satan wants to sift you, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail when you've returned strengthen your brothers. So the question I want to ask is, you know, looking at everything that's been unfolding, Jesus prayed for Peter. Was Jesus' prayer answered? 
Was his prayer answered? And if so, how? Because from my vantage point, Peter's faith totally tanked. It totally tanked. It failed. But hear this, the faith that failed, the faith that failed was ultimately the faith that Peter had in himself. The faith that failed was ultimately the faith that Peter had located in himself and Jesus was absolutely willing for that faith to be sifted out. Hear this, it was out of love for Peter that Jesus allowed Peter to come face to face with the reality of his frail and flimsy faith so that he would take refuge in the sturdiness of his Savior. Jesus allowed Peter to fail so that he would see the faith that he had in himself was flimsy and so that Peter could take refuge in the sturdiness of his Savior. I remember hearing this story somewhere and I thought it illustrates this point well. You might be familiar with this. A shipwrecked man managed to reach an uninhabited island and there to protect himself against the elements and to safeguard the few possessions he had salvaged, he painstakingly built a little hut from which he constantly and prayerfully scanned the horizon for the approach of a ship. Returning one evening after a search for food, he was terrified to find the hut completely enveloped in flames. Everything was destroyed. Yet by, yet by divine mercy, this hard affliction was changed into a mighty advantage. Early the following morning, he awoke to find a ship anchored off the island. When the captain stepped ashore, he explained, we saw your smoke signal and came. You see, everything the maroon man owned had to be destroyed before he could be rescued. In the same way, what we see is that Peter's faith in himself, his faith in himself, it needed to die so that faith in Jesus would become his true source of life. And so we see Jesus, he prayed for Peter. And Peter, he went through that painful sifting process. But Jesus did not let him go. I want to fast forward with you, take a really brief look at this this conversation that happens shortly after Jesus raises from the dead. He meets his disciples on the beach. He cooked them breakfast. They're having breakfast together. And then this conversation between Jesus and Peter takes place. In John 21, verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again, a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. This is an amazing story. There's so much we could talk about and say about that conversation. But what we see here, this is an amazing, amazing picture of grace at work. This is Jesus restoring Peter to ministry. You see, Peter had, had denied Jesus three times, the totality of failure. And what we see here is that Jesus reinstates Peter by asking him three times the same question. And what this shows us is that it demonstrates that Jesus' love for us and commitment to us, it matches and it ultimately overpowers our failure. 
Isn't that amazing? His love for us, his, his commitment to us, his devotion, it, it matches our failures and it ultimately overpowers them. We would look at the story of, of Peter and we would say, disqualified. Jesus, move on. I mean, he let you, I mean forget that. But again, God loves to take our greatest failures to showcase his great faithfulness. This is the good news of the gospel, and it's God's love for you and his approval of you is not altered by your failures, and it's not enhanced by your successes. It's all based upon what Jesus has done. This whole thing, this whole thing is about his love, his faithfulness. It's not our grip on Jesus that brings us hope and confidence. It's the fact that Jesus has a grip on us and he's not letting go. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and we're just going to take the remainder of our time just to respond to God, to respond. And I know that in a room this size, maybe there's some of us that are becoming, we are already painfully aware of all of the failures uh, that we've, we've, we've committed, that are our, our mistakes There's many different flavors of failure. Maybe we're here today and we're we're feeling, man, I know I've blown it. Maybe we're discouraged. Maybe we're defeated. I just want to tell you this morning, I've got good news for you. God's face is towards you. Same way that Peter failed and Jesus looked toward him with compassion, God's face is toward you with compassion. And also just to remind you that there's nothing that you can do to out-sin or out-fail God's grace. Everything that we do is, is already seen by Jesus. This whole thing that happened with Peter, Jesus saw it coming. It's all laid bare before him. So there's nothing that we could do to surprise him. Our sin doesn't surprise God. We can't out-sin or out-fail him. His love succeeds. I love in Romans 8 where Paul says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he later says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is nothing in all creation could ever separate us from the love of God. It's amazing. Jesus was abandoned. No one was left to defend Jesus. But he reverses that whole thing and in his grace, he stands before the Father and he defends us. He speaks in our defense. So if if you're in here and you're painfully aware of your failure, Allow your failure to be that thing that propels you to Jesus. Allow, that, allow your failure, your mistakes, to be, to be a reminder that, of the reason that Jesus came in the first place. He didn't come for the strong and the capable. He came for the weak and the needy, which is really all of us. He loves to showcase his faithfulness using our failures. And finally, there might be some of you who have been wounded or betrayed. You've experienced that by a, a trusted friend. In the same way Jesus was, was disowned. I mean, maybe you've experienced that too. 
And just let's just be reminded that really the ultimate source of security and hope for our souls, we can't place our hope and our confidence on the changing and fickle nature of people and their love. The only thing that will hold our hearts and provide us that, that foundation is the, the unchanging love of God shown through Jesus. So right now, let's just, let's just spend some time responding to him through these songs and be encouraged this morning. Amen.